0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Okay, cool. Well, sorry I'm late to the stage. I was actually meeting some new awesome people. If you didn't know, can I point you guys out? Do you mind? These are three new college gals that are here coming to UNK, so give it up for them. And if you didn't know, uh, the town's going to get a little more crazy with all the college students coming back. Next weekend, so just be prepared to wait a little bit longer at a stoplight. If you go out to eat, you'll have to wait a little bit longer because all the college students are coming back. But praise God, we, we love college students. Amen, church? Okay, cool. So we're excited for that to, to get going again. Well, I am Nate Kriesick, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. We just want to welcome you today. Um, we want to welcome all of those who are watching online or off-site. We are, thank you so much for, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for joining with us. We also, um, typically I'm not down here in, in the main sanctuary. I'm typically down in the gym. So I want to give a big shout out to all my friends in the gym. What is up? I'm glad that you're with us today. That was really awkward because the sanctuary didn't know what to do. So, Jim, people, I love you guys. Thanks for being with us. We love you guys down there. So, today, we are in uh, the third week of our sermon series, Elephant in the Room. Uh, Today, we're talking about a very sensitive topic. Moms and dads, um, if you have children here that you don't want them to hear things, that... Maybe it might be a little bit too old for them. We just want to encourage you. Maybe it's time for you to send them to down to the Power Kids. We have an awesome kids ministry. Pastor Eric would love to connect with your children. So this is your warning, parents. Cool? I don't want to have any emails. Pastor Nate, you should have warned us. I warned you. And so today we're talking about a very serious, a very serious topic. One that I haven't heard a whole lot about in the church. Our culture talks a lot about it. I know if you're an older generation, you, you probably just saw the topic and they, you heard about the topic when you watched TV. It was in the movies you watched, the, the TV shows that you watched. But today we're dealing with a topic that is right here in Carney. It's in our culture. Your, your co-workers are talking about it. Um, I'm not even naive to know that there are people in our families that deal with this struggle. And I'm not naive to know that it's people right here in our church that are probably dealing with the same topic today, dealing with the same struggle. Today we're talking about homosexuality. Now some of you, when you hear that word, you're like, oh, what? You're actually going to talk about that, or you cringe, or some of you are very passionate about that that idea. And Some of you, if I were to poll you today, you'd give me a number of responses. I know if I were to poll all of us, we'd get a number of responses. Some of you are like, I believe equality for all. I believe some of you would say, hey, they can't, we don't have to The decisions that they're making, you know, it it doesn't necessarily... They were born that way. So the feelings that they have, it's okay. Some of you are like, homosexuality, it's so gross. Or some of you are like, man, if God had a list of sins, that would be the top one today. There's a number of different responses I believe that we would get if we were to pull this place, to pull this room. And so today we're going to talk about that issue. We're going to look at it firsthand. The thing is, is we know that there's a lot of uh, definitions that people are trying to come up with for this lifestyle and this behavior. Today, we're going to look at the Christ-centered response and how we look at homosexuality. So today, before we do that, I want us to prepare our hearts. Today, can you close your eyes for me? Today, you just didn't come into a church service. You came into a hospital, and today you're in a place that God wants to do surgery today. God wants to speak to your hearts today. And if we don't allow God to, uh, to speak to our hearts, then we'll never be changed. So today I'm just going to pray. God, today we come knowing that you are the great physician, God, that you want to heal and change our hearts today. So no matter where we find ourselves on the pendulum of this topic of homosexuality, God, I believe that you want to, to our hearts to be wrapped around the Christ-centered act and the obedience of how you view this sin and how we can be Christ followers who share and demonstrate your love today. God, that's really our heart. So to God today, would you... Speak to our hearts. May we be sensitive to your spirit as you speak to us today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your love and your kindness. And everyone said, amen today. So today I want to introduce you to Brady Cohn, a friend of mine who is, he is in charge of a ministry called Freedom Mission International. And today he's going to share his story, when grace met truth. So would you welcome him today, church?
1: Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you all, and it's great to be with all of our friends down in the gym, too. We don't want to forget about them, so a little shout-out to them. So I'm so excited to talk uh, to you guys today, share my story. I know that this is an awkward subject. That's why it's part of the elephant in the room, but something we need to talk about. I'm also excited to talk about more right after this at the Q&A time in the gym. And so throughout the service, uh, my phone number is going to be up on the screen. You can start texting in your questions anytime throughout the service. Or throughout the Q&A time we have them there So as you think of questions, there's a lot more younger people in here now You all have your iPhones and uh, your fancy things This is the Sunday where it's appropriate You can get out of your phones, actually you're told that you could do it And so, uh, yeah, so feel free to do that i love to answer questions at the Q&A time And really just cover a more broad range of issues than we can get to this morning so, I'm going to start with sharing my story. Uh, my story starts 29 years ago, to date myself a little bit, in a small town Nebraska. I was born uh, the fourth child. Um, the, I'm the youngest. I grew up on a farm and ranch in the town of Taylor, Nebraska. Very rural culture, rural atmosphere. My family went to church on Sundays. Uh, we we did the whole church thing, uh, going to church. We did youth group. We prayed before our meals, all that stuff. And so, I grew up with that church background, knowing that... Uh, That I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus and so I'm very thankful for that background. I also grew up, uh, just, I, I remember from the very earliest of ages just feeling different than the rest of boys. I felt different than the rest of boys I went to school with. I felt different than my older brother and my dad. There's just something about me that uh, that just did not mesh with them. There's something, there's a disconnect there. Now I remember just feeling scared by the, by, the, by the men and the boys. Like, they are just scary people to me and I felt safe, uh, in the company of my mom and my older sisters. So, so that was just part of my background from a very early age was that there is something different about me. Well as I got older, uh, my, my, my family moved to the town of North Flat when I was 10 years old, so that really changed our family's life. Uh, we, we actually had a stoplight there. There's actually a bunch of them. And so that was, that was a huge change to our life. Uh. And so, and my, my family kept going to church when we went to North Flat, but I think that for our family, and I think that this comes with a lot of families, especially in small towns or bigger towns too, that your faith is based a lot on image, that you want people to think that you're this good Christian family. So you do all the Christian things, you show up to church, you show up to youth group, you, uh, you pray before your meals, you, you put on this image. But Christ was never really just the center of our family's life. It never changed our, changed our hearts. And my family's life took a drastic turn when I was eleven years old, I was almost twelve, when my parents got a divorce. And so that was just a very difficult time in our family's life. Uh my parents had the big long, you know, legal battle that you know happens when you have a divorce, and finally their divorce was legalized and we thought that all right, now is our chance, we can move on with our lives. But then my parents got back together seventeen times. So so 17 times, uh, my dad actually moved back into the house with us, and every time it didn't work out. And uh, so that was just like three years of mass instability in my life and in our family's life, where from month to month, I didn't know what house we were going to be living in. I didn't know what parent I was going to be living with. Uh, and that was just very painful, but I was just such a loner at the time, I, I felt so different from the other boys that I, I just didn't have anybody to process those feelings with. I just became very emotionally numb through that situation. So I, I mentioned that it felt like to me like my family's faith was very image-based. And so when my parents got their divorce... Uh, all, all of a sudden the image was blown. Everybody knew that we weren't this perfect Christian family And so everybody just kind of gave up on Christianity. My whole family walked away from their faith Except for me. I kept going to youth group on Wednesday nights uh, And so, uh, so I was going to youth group and It was during the beginning of this time with my parents divorce when I was about 11 years old I started to struggle with same-sex attraction and homosexual issues Now that's a very difficult, confusing time for everybody. It's kind of junior high, you're entering into puberty, there's weird things happening, and it's just really difficult and confusing. For me, it was even more confusing, because... As my friends were starting to notice girls and notice this attraction towards girls, I wasn't at all. But I was feeling this attraction emotionally, physically, sexually towards other men, other, other guys my age, too. And I, I was very, very confused by that. I, I felt a lot of shame and guilt over that. i had enough church background to know that homosexuality was a sin. Uh... But it seemed like my church background was a very self-righteous judgmental background where that was the one unforgivable sin That those sinners were worse than all the rest And so I felt I was just bombarded with shame and guilt over these feelings and as time went on The feelings just kept getting stronger and stronger and I just did not know why I was getting them Well, by the time I was 13, I was almost 14 that summer uh, the, These feelings were just taking more and more control of my life. They're consuming more and more of my thoughts and I thought that, well, maybe I, I just have to tell someone. I, I hadn't told any family members because my family life was still kind of a wreck, and uh, so I have to tell someone, so I decided I'd tell a youth group pastor uh, some night, of youth group. Well, before I got the courage to talk to a youth group pastor, when i youth group, I'm sitting there on the floor with like 30 other kids my age, and the youth group pastor says to the entire group, makes a comment, I wish all homosexuals would die. That comment felt like a knife to my chest. There I was, 13 years old, and I'd never acted out on these feelings. They were just feelings, but I felt like he was speaking directly to me. So I actually went home that night, and as a 13-year-old, I got out a gun, and I loaded it, and I was going to take my own life. Because I thought, if it's God's will for all homosexuals to die, then I guess I will. So thankfully, by the grace of God... Obviously, I didn't do it because I I had the gun loaded, ready to push the trigger when I heard my mom walking the front door, and I kind of came to my senses and put the gun away. And so I didn't take my life that night, but that was just the start of a downward spiral in my life. I instantly built up a wall around myself where I said, uh, I can't let anybody see who I truly am. I guess I can't let anybody uh, into this part of my life. I can't tell anybody. I have to keep a secret. I instantly started to just really hate and distrust Christians. I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to love the God of the Bible, but I, I just hated his followers. And so uh, I was like, I, I just can't. Um, I can't trust Christians any longer. And so I was just building up this wall where my whole life became built around image, putting on an image for people. Uh, so that they wouldn't see who I truly was. There, there's times in the preceding couple of years where uh, I, I, I try to fix myself, and I, I try to ask all these questions, like, am I gay? Am I homosexual? What do these feelings mean for my life? There was, uh, you know, at the time, our, our culture was changing a lot. It still is changing a lot with this issue, and we're told that we're just born that way, that if, if we have same-sex attraction, we're gay, and we just we don't have any choice over it. That's the way we have to live our life to be happy. Well, it was soon after... Uh, the the youth group incident, as I'm questioning all these things in my life, that I discovered online pornography for the first time. So I was 14 years old, and I was instantly hooked and addicted. And for me, online pornography was more than just a sexual addiction, but that was my only community. That was the only place where I could go to in my life where uh, there's people who had the same feelings as me. They, they had the, the same thoughts, the same desires, and I could relate to them. And I could feel connected to them. I could feel like I belonged. And it was in this complete world of darkness. So as, as high school went on, uh, I, I just get getting more and more involved in sexual sin. You know, any sin in our life, uh, we, 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 we use it to fulfill us and fulfill these desires we have, but as we do it, we just continue to have to have more and more, and that's the way that these sexual desires became in my life. Uh, Before I knew it, I was uh, experimenting with with sexual hookups, with relationships, and just exploring what does it mean for for me to be gay, What what do these feelings mean, and fulfilling these desires. I remember waking up in the morning sometimes and thinking, I cannot go the rest of my day without fulfilling these desires. And so that just led me into deeper and deeper sexual addiction. Before I knew it, uh, most people would not even know that this goes on in a small town of North Platte, Nebraska, or any town in Nebraska, but as a 15-year-old boy, I could get online any night of the week and find men willing to pay me for sex. And for me, the prostitution piece of my life was much more than just about the sexual addiction but I felt so valueless about my life. I felt so worthless because of this desire. I felt so unlovable that I felt that if someone's willing to pay me for that, then at least I have value to someone, at least I have worth to someone, at least uh, someone sees something valuable about me that they're willing to pay me for. And so on the outside, I still had this image that I had it all together, that I was a straight-A student. Um, I was the type of student that every teacher said they wished every one of their students was like Brady But on the inside I was just fallen broken and hurting I was confused and I was angry And but it was all on the inside and I put an image for everybody else on the outside so I feel like going through high school for me was like a pendulum of emotions going back and forth There are times when I said all right I want to be a christian because I still kind of believe in the god of the bible But god can't love me the way that I am and so, God can't love a homosexual person like this. And so I have to fix myself. And so I'm just going to walk away from it. I'm going to pretend like that part of my life never existed. And so I do that. And usually last for about maybe 42 to 46 minutes. Uh, yeah, and then I'd be done. And I'd, be, I'd give in. And I'd be like, all right, I guess I tried that. I just can't get free from this. I guess this is just my life. Then I'd be angry and bitter towards God and say, all right, God, how could a loving God create me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell? And so at times I even question, is God even real? Does he exist? If he does exist, he must not be a loving God because no loving God would inflict this onto my life. And so that's where I was really when I graduated from high school. Uh, perfection on the outside, just hurting, brokenness, a whole double life on the inside. I went to college at Shattern State College because I got into the pre-med program there. I was going to be a doctor. That was kind of part of the whole image thing. I wanted to prove to people how smart I was and all that stuff, so uh, I was was going to be a doctor, and I remember freshman year, uh, I I pulled up the dorms the first week to unload my stuff and move into the dorms, and I pulled up with my car and got out, and there's this guy standing there. His name is Brandon. And uh, Brandon helped, offered to help me unload all my stuff out of my car in my dorm room. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. So so he did that. And when we were done, he offered to— uh, or he told me about this ministry on campus called Crew, also known as Campus Safe for Christ. They invited me to on Wednesday night. He also told me about his church down the street. And so, so I went to Crew that first Wednesday night. And I really just went— because I still kind of had the Christian image thing going on. I wanted people to think that I was a good Christian person. And deep down, I still had a desire to love God. I I just didn't think that God could love me. So I showed up to crew the first week, and it was really good. There was a praise band. There was a speaker who gave some message that I'm sure included the gospel. But I was just so hard-hearted and bitter at that point that nothing that I heard from the front really just could penetrate that hard-heartedness. But what did change my life were some of the relationships. I, I ended up being attending crew every, every week faithfully for two years, and nothing I heard from the front changed me, but the relationships did. I, I had these upperclassmen like Brandon and further guys who just started to pursue me. They started to, uh, to love me, to serve me. They started to ask me spiritual questions about my life and just started digging into my life. And I always had the right answers for them. I had enough church background that I thought I knew what they wanted to hear. And they could obviously tell that my life just wasn't adding up, that that my life was producing no fruit, that there's something wrong with my life, but they still just continued to love me unconditionally anyway. Uh, One time, Brandon changed the starter of my car in the middle of the night in the dorm parking lot so I could get home the next day. So these guys were just doing these tangible things to show me the love of Christ. Well, I went home. My sophomore year for Thanksgiving, I was super depressed about my life. Uh, I I felt like I was just in chains, this sin in this lifestyle that I didn't want to be in, uh, and I I just wanted to go away. But it didn't. I just felt like I I was a prisoner in chains to this life, and so. But I I just didn't think I had a choice. And so I went home. I was I'd been super depressed, and at home I seen my cousin Chris, and she was asking me if I. Uh, was involved with crew on my campus. And I was like, oh yeah, some of my friends are the leaders. And so she asked if I'd heard of a conference called Denver Christmas Conference. It's like, oh yeah, some of my friends are going. And so she, it turns out my cousin Chris had kind of rededicated her life to Christ at Denver Christmas Conference like 25 years ago. So she got online and reg- registered me and paid for it. And so I absolutely did not want to go to this conference, but I was enough of a people-pleaser that uh, she already paid for it, so I just had to go because I couldn't let her down. And so I pretty much went to this conference kicking and screaming, and it was just like all this other Christian stuff I did. It was good, just I didn't think that God's grace applied to me. I I thought that I was too far gone, and God couldn't love me. But there's one speaker there who changed my life. His name was Mike Haley. And he gave his testimony about leaving the homosexual lifestyle and about how Jesus loved him just as he was. And that just blew my mind because I'd never heard a Christian message of hope before. I'd never heard a Christian say that if you struggle with that, Jesus still loves you. And so I went home that semester, still unchanged, because I was still unsure about if God could do something like that in my life. And I was still pretty just hard-hearted and bitter. But I just had Mike's testimony in the back of my mind I went home that summer, sophomore year. I went home North Flat. And I was running my underground sprinkler and landscaping business there. And I actually hired a couple of my crusade buddies from Shadron to work for me. And so Lex was working for me and a couple other guys. And they had just graduated, needed summer jobs before they went on to grad school. So they were working for me and I, doing my underground sprinklers and landscaping and that type of stuff. And I just hadn't realized how much God had used them to soften my heart. How, through them, I seen uh, true Christianity. These were the people in my life that truly just loved Jesus. They love people. They're open and real and authentic about what's going on in their life. And because of that, I could see Jesus working their life. I could see Jesus changing them. And that was a completely different picture of Christianity than I'd ever had before. Well, middle of June that summer, I came to just a breaking point in my life. Where I said, I can't do this any longer. And so, I got out a notebook and I titled it "Life Options." What are my life options? And I came up with three of them. Number one was that I could just come out of the closet, live openly homosexual, uh, just accept the gay life, and uh, just just live it out. Find find a partner, long term partner. And part of that sounded great. Part of that sounded so fulfilling that that would fulfill so much of my heart. That would fulfill so many of my desires, and that would be so life giving for me. But I said, I just can't do that because I can't handle the rejection I get from my friends and family that, that I, I just don't want to live that life. And so uh, option number two was that I could just continue to keep it a secret and uh, just continue to live a double life. And it's like, I just can't do that any longer. It's just tearing me apart to keep this type of a secret. And option number three was just that I could end my life. And those were the only three options that I could see for my life. And I already said I couldn't do the first two, so I guess option three is the only one that I could do. And so I decided, for some reason, I know that it was definitely by the grace of God, his work in my life, that I I decided that before I end my life, I want to tell one person, I want to tell one Christian about that other side of my life, about about the gay life that I'm living, and I want to see what their reaction is. And so I told one of these guys working for me, his name was Lex. And I remember when I told him, I couldn't even bring the words out of my mouth, and so I gave him a letter. I handed him a letter, and we're in my stepdad's house, and I actually had a gun loaded in my room. I said, if he rejects me, that's just going to be the end of it. That's going to be the end of my life right there. But obviously, I'm here, so he didn't reject me, but instead, he loved me. He talked to me about God's grace and about how all sin is equalized to God, and his sin is no better or worse than my sin, and we're all in this together, and he's going to be there to help me fight through this. And I was just blown away by that. And for three days, I I, I kept thinking about that and dwelling on that. I I just couldn't believe that Lex could love me so well. And for those three days, all I kept thinking was that that can't be Lex who loves me. That has to be the Jesus I see in him who loves me. So after three days, with this whole experience with Lex, uh, seeing Jesus in him, and I had Mike Haley's testimony in the back of my mind, I gave my life to Christ you know, I'd always called myself a Christian. In fact, I prayed over and over again when I was a child and teenager for God to take the struggle away, take those feelings away. I, I, I said I didn't want it and just begged God to take it away. And I'd always called myself a Christian. But my, my faith had always been on my terms. It had always been on my conditions. It, I always said, all right, God, I want you to take the struggle away, but I don't want to have to tell anybody about it. I should instantly be attracted to women. I should have a wife. I should have kids. This is what my life should look like. And so my faith was just demands on God, which was no faith at all. But for the first time in my life, I came to a point of surrender, of complete surrender, where I said, all right, God, I I trust that you can do something in Mike's life. You can do something in my life, too. And I trust that you love me for the first time. And I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I have to tell. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what it costs me. I want to surrender my life to you, and I want to follow you. And my life instantly started to change. Uh, I, I told several more guys, and for the first time I had community where uh, where I could talk about these feelings and attractions, which was just liberating. This was messy stuff I was talking about, homosexuality and sex and prostitution and all these desires, but these guys just listened and loved me and let me live that out in community, and they started to speak scripture in my life, and uh, I, I started going to counseling and figure out some of the root issues behind behind these struggles— and my, my life has just started to change. I started to fall in love with Scripture. I, I want to read with, for you guys just one piece of Scripture that changed my life that summer. It comes from First Corinthians. It starts with verse 9 and 10 in chapter 6. It seems like these first two verses I heard over and over again as a child. Now, but I always heard them pointed specifically towards the homosexual community. It says, Or do you not know that the wicked, that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's very serious scripture, because sin should always be taken seriously. But I'd heard that always pointed towards the homosexual community, that they're not going to heaven, that their sin is worse than everybody else's. But really, if you look at that list of sins, I really think that that covers all of us, probably most of us on a daily basis. And so I'd always heard that scripture really used as a weapon against me. But that summer, one of these guys, I think it was Lex, Read me the very next verse. It's verse eleven, and says, "And that is why some of you were, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God." And that just completely changed my world. It gave me hope. It says that there were men who were homosexuals 2,000 years ago, but that's where they were in past tense, because Christ had changed them. He washed them. He justified them. And I realized, folks, that this is not a new issue that we're dealing with. This is not a new issue in our culture. This issue of homosexuality was happening 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, Christ was changing people. He was washing them. He was bringing them freedom to their life. And so for the first time in my life, I had hope that I could live a different life. For the first time in my life, I felt like I had nothing left in life except for God's grace, but God's grace is the only thing that I needed. And so as my summer went on, uh, I, I was falling in love with God's word, with his scripture. Uh, I was living in community. I was seeking counseling. Uh, God was just changing my life. And I'd love to stand up here and say that he changed my life by taking the struggle away. That he changed my life by taking away the same-sex attraction. So that, like, I would prayed so many times, but he didn't do that at all. But he did three things in my life that summer I want to share with you. The first thing is that he gave me a new identity. He showed me that I'm not defined by the labels that the society gives me. I'm not defined by my attraction. I'm not defined by the fact that our culture says that I'm gay because of these attractions that I have. That's not my identity. My identity is in Jesus and nothing more. The second thing he did in my life that summer was, (coughs) excuse me, he gave me... uh, Value. He, he showed me that I don't have to sell myself, uh, that because I am his child and I have value uh, bec- just because I'm his. And he ta- started to teach me what it looked like to live as his child. The third thing he did in my life that summer was give me freedom and power over my sin. He showed me that No matter what my struggle is, he showed me that no matter what feelings and attractions I have, that I can wake up every day and I can choose to live a life through the power of the Holy Spirit that's pleasing and holy and honoring to him, no matter what society says I am, no matter what feelings I have. And so I ended that summer being a completely changed person. My life was still messy. I was still trying to figure out these issues in my life. I was still battling temptation for pornography, but I loved Jesus and he brought me freedom that I thought I could never have. So I went back to college that fall, to Shadron State, really to do ministry there because I, I want other people to know that they have this type of life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I, I continued to seek counseling. I started be discipled by pastor of the local church there, Randy, who, who just dug into this issue in my life and loved me unconditionally. And that's been eight years ago now. And for the eight years, God has just sent me on this healing journey of redeeming areas of my past and, and doing work in my life, and bringing me more and more freedom in this area. I always picture that, I I say that God's like an old man with a hammer and chisel. And when I was 14 years old or 13 years old with this youth group incident, I'd build up a wall around myself. I wouldn't let anybody in. And now over the last eight years, God has just repeatedly given me these defining moments where he's taken out his hammer and chisel and chiseled away a piece of wall around my heart. Moments where people love me more than I thought that anybody could love me. Moments where God spoke to me through his word and showed me that I'm his child. God just continued, has continued over eight years to get out his hammer and chisel and do work in my life, and so, so that's where I am today. I, I still struggle with same sex attraction. I, I still have those, some of those desires and temptations, but God has showed me over and over again, every day over the last eight years, that I can still wake up every day and choose the kind of life I'm going to live under His grace. And so now, over the last for the last five years, I've been had the privilege of doing college ministry all over in Nebraska. And now God is uh, allowing me to transition out of that and do ministry to the homosexual community full-time and equip churches like you guys to deal with these issues because families are hurting, people are hurting. And I get to disciple guys who are struggling right now. Gosh, I have a couple of hundred guys in my life that I have regular contact with who are struggling with, with homosexual issues, same-sex attraction, who are seeking purity and holiness. Some of them are still living the lifestyle. Uh, some of them aren't. But, but God's given me an opportunity to reach out to them. And so people ask me all the time, alright Brady, uh, our culture is spiraling out of control in this area. What do we do? How do we respond? Well, What's our biblical approach to handling homosexuality? And so uh, to handle that, to figure out our biblical response, I have four challenges for you guys. And so if you're a note taker, this is a good time to get out your pen and paper. Four challenges for you guys to handle this issue in our, in our lives. <clears throat> the first one is be safe people and create safe environments. So I hear all the time about people who were in situations where someone said something that just put up a wall around their life. Like my youth group incident, I was talking to someone the other day, a middle-aged man, and he's been struggling with same-sex attraction his entire life. He's been, excuse me, in the same small group, men's group, in his church for five years, and he's never told them about his struggle and uh, I asked him, so because he'd never told them, he's, he's just been held captive by it. And I asked him why he'd never told them, and he said, "When the first weeks they met, five years ago, uh, the, one of the guys in the group made a comment about homosexuality. Another guy uh, made the comment, oh, well, it's a good thing none of us struggle with that. And so I am sure that these guys in this small group had no malicious intent behind those comments. They had no idea that someone in the room was dealing with those issues. But someone was. And that one comment uh, just made this that unsafe environment where this guy said, "All right, obviously these are not safe people. I guess I have to keep my mask on. I have to keep my wall up and I can't talk to them." But if we want people to find freedom from their sin, if we want to make disciples, then we have to create spaces where people can be real, honest, where they can feel loved, where they know that there is no sin that they can't confess, where there is nothing that they could say in that room that would make people love them less. So we have to create uh, safe environments um, by being careful about what we say and how we say it. Number two is have the right expectations. And that's the expectation that for this issue in people's life, it's probably going to last a lifetime. There's, there's cases, there's instances where people's sexual attractions do change when they go through this healing process, and that's great. We want to celebrate what God does in those people's lives. But that's not realistic, that's not normal, nor should that be the expectation. And so this is going to be a very difficult issue in people's life probably forever. So we need to create the community around them where we can disciple them, where they can where we can bear that burden with them because it is not an easy thing to struggle with. It's it's a daily battle in their soul and they need community, they need love, they need support. They they need some soldiers come along beside them and help them in that battle. So we need to love them and have compassion realizing that that this issue has caused for most people a lot of pain in their life. So I want to ask you this morning, well, one, one of these expectations we, I, I think that we get wrong uh, with this issue is that we kind of expect that if, if a gay person were to come to know Christ, that like, they should instantly not be gay anymore. We kind of make that like the gate. To, to Christianity is, oh yeah, you can come to Christianity, but it means you're instantly not gay anymore. But that's usually not the way it works. It takes time. It takes community for people to get to that point. They need maturity and discipleship and, and healthy Christians around them. So, do you have space in your life, in your homes, in your Bible studies, in your small groups, in your church, for people who are still in that process? For people who are still living the homosexual life, but they're searching, they're seeking, they're trying to love Jesus and figure out what what that looks like in their life do you have room for those people because you should because we're going to make disciples we, we, we need to love them through it we need to tend to love them help them grow uh, we need to disciple them we need to give them that place where, where they can do that because ultimately it's going to be the Holy Spirit it's going to be the maturity that, they, that comes in their life that leads them out of that that convicts them they need Jesus first and then they need discipleship. And somewhere along the process, we hope and pray that they'll come to a place where they'll walk away from their sin. But many times that takes years. Number three is we practice what we preach. And here's what I mean by that. So. When we're asking of a homosexual person to leave their lifestyle, and that, when, when we believe that homosexuality is a sin, which I do and this church does, then we want people to walk away from that. We want them to find a different life, a better life in Jesus. And we don't realize all of what we're asking of them. Many times we're asking them to leave a significant other that they have a committed relationship with. We're talking about leaving their friends, their support network. We're talking about leaving an identity. Because homosexuality isn't just a sexual behavior. It's just not a, a behavior they go out and do. That's their identity. That's who they feel like they are. That's who they feel like they are born to be. We're, we're asking them to do so much, to leave their entire life behind. And they are not going to buy that message unless they see us doing that ourselves. Unless they see us going to Jesus for a completely new identity and leaving all idols behind. How many times in our lives in American Christianity— do we, do we have our identity in things other than Jesus, in our careers, our uh, jobs, our houses, our, our how much money we have, um, all these things. And even in our relationships, in our heterosexual relationships, so many of those relationships can be built on idolatry, which is the same idolatry that's at the center of homosexual relationships. And so if we expect the homosexual community, uh, gay and lesbian individuals, to walk away from their life, to follow Jesus, to have their identity in nothing other than Jesus, we have to be willing to do that ourselves. Otherwise, they'll never believe the message that we're preaching. Number four, to wrap this up, is enter the mess. I, I get this response all the time. Just the other day, uh, um, and Pastor Nate mentioned this on how sometimes we think that this is just gross. I was talking to this lady the other day. She said that she should reach out to her two neighbors, her lesbian women, uh, but that sinister is just so yucky that she just doesn't think that she can. And I had two responses for her. One was to go home and look at herself in the mirror and remind her that her sin is just as yucky in the eyes of God. And Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to hang on the cross just as long for her sin as anybody else, just as long for the sin of her lesbian neighbors. And two is to go to, and read Acts 17. In Acts 17, The Apostle Paul goes to Athens. This is a city filled with idolatry, uh, including one of their sins at that time was homosexuality, which was rampant in that culture. And he sees a city, and he is sickened by their sin. He is physically sickened because of all the idolatry and sin in this city. But did he say that Uh, No, that sin is just, that culture is too messy for me. That's too yucky. That's too gross. I'm not going to go there. No, he went there. He lived with them. He loved them. Because he knew that his discomfort was worth it for the sake of the gospel. So people, God's God's kingdom is messy. It's broken. It's painful. But it's when we enter that messiness in people's lives that we can bring them redemption. All right, I just want to close with this today make it a little more personal for you guys. Uh, I want to close by saying that I'm I'm not naive. I know that there are people in this room who personally struggle with this issue. That there are people in this room, maybe you're a teenager and you've been wrestling with some of these feelings and trying to figure out, like, am I gay? What's going on in my life? There's probably people in this room that are older that have, have been sitting in church your entire life and keeping these issues a secret. And it's been just paralyzing you. You've been consumed with shame and guilt I just want to tell all those in this room that you are loved, that you're loved more than you can imagine, first and foremost by Jesus, but also by this church, by the pastors here. I just want to challenge you and encourage you that there's hope, that there's freedom, that God has a better life for you. He has a better life for you than living the homosexual lifestyle, and he has a better life for you than having same-sex attraction, having to keep it a secret. And so, whether you're living it out or keeping it a secret, I just want to challenge you encourage you talk to someone. There's hope, there's healing. Come talk to your pastors, talk to your small group leaders. You don't have to live this out alone. You don't have to struggle with it alone. For the rest of you in this room, you're not off the hook yet. Because... Because you need to deal with this issue too, because your brothers and sisters in Christ, your community, your families, the people around you, they need you. People are hurting and suffering because of this issue. They need your love and your compassion and your grace. They need you to be sent on mission into their life to show them the love and compassion of Jesus. I have no doubt that there's families in this church uh, who are hurting because they have sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. I've already heard from some of these families this morning uh, who are gay, and they don't know what to do about it, and they don't think that they can talk about it, and they are just hurting, and they need you guys, their brothers and sisters in Christ, their community, come along beside them and to rally around them and to live that out in community. So that's my challenge for you guys today. Um, I, I just want to close with saying that... Uh, I would love to make myself available for anybody who wants to talk about this. My contact info is up on the screen here. Uh, there's my website, my email, my phone number. If you struggle with this personally, if you have family members with you, then you just want to sit down and get some insight into these issues and how you can reach out and how you can love people well. And I, I'd love to do that. So please just contact me. Also remember, we have the Q&A right after this. Uh, we're going to be joining our friends down in the gym and uh, doing some Q&A. So I'd love to answer questions and be able to talk about a more broader Area of issues with this. So start texting in your questions and just join us right after this in the gym. And with that said, I'll turn it over to Pastor Nate. Thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Brady. Thank you for coming and being vulnerable and sharing with us today. So, today, like I said in the beginning, some of us have come. and We find ourselves on either end of the spectrum. We find ourselves more open to the idea. Some of us are very closed-minded to the idea of homosexuality. But today, it's our heart's desire that we would have a Christ-centered response. That we would have a Christ-centered response. That we would have His eyes and His heart to love. How dare that we think that our sin... That our sin is not any more worse than the homosexual lifestyle. That's not the truth. All sin is equal. So today, how you will you respond? Will you allow God to speak to you? In just a moment, the worship teams, the worship teams are going to come and they're going to lead us in worship. And that's going to be your opportunity to respond to the Lord. To respond to Him. Through worship. Maybe that. There's an opportunity for you to come to this altar today. Maybe you're a mom or a dad and you know that your son or daughter is living a homosexual lifestyle. Don't give up in praying for them. Keep praying and believing for great things. Keep believing that the hand of God would come in and touch their life. That God would send them, whether it's you or somebody else, to extend their hands and feet. To extend their love to them. That's what I love about Brady. His story was that somebody just extended love to him. Just extended love. And just walked along the process with him as a, on his spiritual journey. Today, God wants to use us today if we'll allow him to. Others today, maybe you've come and you know that you're co-workers and you're just like, man, I'm closed-minded closed and closed off to the issue. Allow God to speak to you to soften your heart today. To see... Allow God to show you how He views them. Amen? Amen. Today, it's a topic that the church really doesn't do a whole very good job at talking about. Today, I believe, we don't want to be a church that doesn't talk about it, but we want to be a church that's real. Amen? Amen. So, Today, would you stand with me as we pray? Today, maybe you've come with other, other things on your heart. A heavy heart dealing with other things today. Would you come to and lay it down before the Lord? We'll get the other elephant in the room out of the room, okay? Today, if you come to the altar, some people may think, well, maybe they think I'm a homosexual. We're not that judgmental church. Come on, church. These altars are open to meet with our Creator, to meet with our King and Savior. So today, that's what these altars are open for to meet with God and allow Him to speak to us wherever we're at. Let's pray. God, we love You and we thank You today. God, we thank You for Your Spirit that's alive and active, God, today. God, it's by grace that You've you sent us, Brady, today to speak on this particular topic, God. And I believe there are people that are here that needed to hear this word at such, at such this time. So God, may we be all in engaged with you today through this time of worship, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you bring us to our knees in areas that we're not fully committed and not serving you in? God, if there's sin in, in our life that we're trying to hide, but we come clean with it, God. Laying it down at your feet, allowing you to restore and strengthen us and make us whole today we love you and we thank you for your presence. Again, we know that you're in this place and if we will come and surrender and lay our lives down, you have so much, so much more for us. Greater things. God, you've come to set us free today. So God, we look to you today. and guide us in these next steps of worship today. Guide us and direct us. May we have your heart. In Jesus' name, let's worship today.